Wake up, Mr. Web, Mr. Web, Mr. Web, Mr. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And I heard him say, nothing's ever promised tomorrow today. From the shy, like Tim, it's a harder way. So this is in the name of love, like robbers say. Before you ask me to go get a job today, can I at least get a raise on the minimum wage? And I know the government administer AIDS. So I guess we just pray like the ministers say. Alu Akbar and throwing some hot cars. Verbally Effective, Episode 17, your double E, Ina Esco, in the building. And I have in the studio with me a good friend of mine I've been knowing for like almost 20 years or more now. At least 20. At least 20? At least 20. Mr. Daryl Cobbins. Hi, Daryl. Good evening. How are you? Thank you I'm for having me. I'm doing well. Thank you for coming. I know yeah. I've been running into you a lot. And I'm like, Daryl, I got to get you on the podcast. I got to get you on the podcast. And you're yeah. here. Yeah. And so much has happened since the last time I saw you. Yeah, those a lot. There's a lot that has transpired nationally, locally, and, yes. and otherwise. So I'm glad and, and look forward to having a good conversation with we you. We have about a lot to that. discuss. That's right. A lot to discuss. But let's first start off with how I know Daryl Cobbins. So mm-hmm. all of you know I attended Lamorne on college. I used to see Daryl come on the campus with the Kappas, getting them in line. Yeah. Big money bait them you. That's right. That's you right. Are, you were already in. I, I was an OG by then. You were an OG. So we all was, was up to Daryl. I was approaching Darryl. OG status by then. I think yeah. that was like, uh, when did you cross? Spring 99. Okay. So I knew you before you crossed, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I was five years in. I was approaching yeah. OG status. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember you being a little young whippersnapper. Ah! I was and crossing into Beta Ta. Don't play. Breathtaking Beta Ta. And your wife. That's I right. love her. That's right. That's I right. I love her. Mickey, how you doing, lady? <laughs> Soror, big sis, mommy, everything. That's Mickey. Right. So you know what? When we when we used to um stop by and make a few um <laughs> routes, <laughs> we used to always look at you first to see what's the uh kind of gauge the situation yeah yeah you know what i'm yeah, talking about yeah, I know exactly and what you would make us feel so safe <laughs> i wasn't gonna let nothing happen to y'all and we you know. and you made it through safely so we that's the most important thing like yeah. i'm an og now yeah we all ogs now my my 25 years was sunday Wow. And your so, line brothers are who? Um, uh, Derek Morris, Nikita Moore, also known as Computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, com- computer Main. Uh, Jimmy Scott, Kareem Marlowe. We were the Fab Five. Did you all get together recently on the 25? Well, we're supposed to be going out of town this weekend, so to celebrate our 25. Oh, so I know you we'll all see. do it. Be big money, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nikita is. Uh, Doing a lot, uh, hosting parties, still doing a lot of his graphic design work, uh, doing a little bit of DJing. Is, you know? He's not in Memphis, is he? No, he's uh, back home in Mississippi, but he travels a lot, okay. you know, from okay. here to a lot of these college towns and spends a lot of time in Vegas and California. Nikita, got it. So. Nikita always had it going on. Yeah, Adventures in Hollywood. Always busy. He had that <laughs> With the 10 gallon hat connect. on. <laughs> Remember the 3 6 connect? He is yeah. a 3 6 connect. Yeah, he's still in there. He's still in there. They're still his boys. Okay, okay. But um, some people may not know, but I know a lot of people that know you know this. You actually didn't go to Lemoyne. You are a graduate of Rhodes College. Mm-hmm. But at the time, Rhodes didn't have a chapter for Kappa. Right. Back then. So you all cross played. Yeah, yeah. I was the. Uh, Third Rhodes um, 
student to pledge Kappa mm-hmm. at Lamont. There were there, and a good friend of mine. He pledged Q at Lamont since we didn't have a chapter at Rhodes, and so um, now Rhodes has a chapter that's combined with Christian Brothers called uh, Omicron Epsilon Chapter, and that's been around maybe maybe fifteen years or so. So um, so yeah, but I'm still big money. So were you uh, instrumental in getting that chapter started? Actually Rhodes? not. Actually okay. not. I was long gone by then, but um, but glad to see it there. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time we had a, at the time that I was there, there was a Delta chapter that was combined between Ro- Rhodes and CBU, mm-hmm. and an Alpha chapter that was combined between Rhodes and CBU. So with those being two sort of smaller liberal arts colleges with small black student populations, it makes a little sense to mm-hmm. let them jointly have chapters mm-hmm. and. Um, do what they do. And I've been seeing a lot of probates lately. It's like probate season right now. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. crossing. I'm yeah, loving it. Yeah, it's a lot of creativity. A lot more creativity and it is. ingenuity than uh, 25 years ago. Yes, it is. It's good to see. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more canes being twirled in these routines than uh, mm-hmm. than I see. So they can mix in a little, little old school with the new school and mm-hmm. the strolling and all that stuff they do. So. We'll see how that comes about. That's right. Now, Daryl, let's get down to business. I mean, you have recently been appointed by the governor for the 9th Congressional District Representative for the Board of Education. That title alone. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about this title. Okay. What does that mean? Um, Well, there is a state board of education that oversees policy and curriculum and standards and teacher licensure. Um, and principal or leadership um, training across the state of Tennessee for K through 12 public education. And so there are nine members appointed by the governor uh, from different parts of the state uh, in the nine congressional districts of the state of Tennessee. And then there's one student member. And we meet um, most often in Nashville. And I, I got appointed in June of last year. And just uh, and I was fulfilling the unexpired term of Bill Trout, who was previously the president of Rhodes College, who stepped down when he retired. And so just recently in March, I was technically reappointed for a full five year term and approved by the Tennessee legislature to um, to serve a full five year term. And so we most often meet in Nashville and um in conjunction with the Tennessee Department of Education, just deal with a lot of issues around education policy. Mm-hmm. And that could run the gamut from um, policies that govern what school districts can do and can't do, what teachers can and can't do. Uh, hard thing is teacher discipline. A lot mm-hmm. of times when there are issues that um, involve teachers and actions that go outside of the bounds of what they're prescribed to do, we have to entertain recommendations of discipline and those kind of things. And I've been seeing quite a few examples Whew. in the news lately. Man, that's the hardest thing. Is uh, yes, yeah, the hardest thing is to to look at situations like that and determine what should happen with a person in their career. Mm. But you know, when you're in the care of children, and whether they're kindergartners or seniors in high school, they're mm-hmm. still children. Um, you know, it's a big responsibility that, that shouldn't be taken lightly. And so um, in addition to that, um, we look at um, setting the standards for what um, 
should be learned and at what level uh, attainment is considered viable for students and um, and hold that up for the districts to implement their curriculum. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is get Tennessee as high as we can on the national list of um, states and how they perform on um in terms of all these tests that you see that uh, that's a lot of tests. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm in my my son and my family, we're in Mississippi and DeSoto County mm-hmm. and, and they're doing a lot of testing right now. Yeah. So um, you know, you kinda hear and I know you've heard this before, that there's a big difference between Mississippi's curriculum mm-hmm. versus Tennessee's, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the two and they're right next to each other, you mm-hmm. know, state line. Mm-hmm. So what do you see immediately some changes that need to, I guess, get Tennessee to a higher curriculum? Well, um, we've done a good job over the past five years in terms of raising the bar, in terms of standards and expectations of students and what they need to know, uh, but also in terms of teachers and evaluating them based on that uh, student performance and achievement. We were probably 48th or 49th in the nation when you ranked states and now we're probably in the low 20s. That's a big improvement. It's a big improvement in a relatively short period of time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, a lot of that credit goes to um, Candace McQueen, who's the uh, commissioner of education for the state. And, um, and of course, the districts around the state that employ teachers that work hard to prepare students. You know, I'm um, not a big fan of standardized testing, but ultimately... That's the way that we learn what mm-hmm. students know. And if there was a way to not have to test so frequently and just allow students to learn what they need to know on a daily basis, that would be ideal. But They're constantly testing. But with um, the federal government and a lot of their funding is tied to yes. performance. And so we have to do like a lot of other states do and take these tests and see where we stack up. But we're doing well, and I think um, if we can continue on the path that we've been on, you know, we should be fine in in years to come. So how long will you be in this role? Five years, God willing. (laughs) So I just got appointed to a five-year term, and I look forward to, you know, still learning a lot. I mean, I I am not an educator by profession, but um, have tried to make sure that in this role that I've made myself accessible to teachers and reached out to teachers and educators and school leaders to on different issues when they come up just to help me understand how does this affect the classroom, how does this affect the schools, and ultimately how does this affect student achievement. And so basically nine months into it right now, but still learning and still Mm-hmm. Just trying to make good decisions that, that work out for the best. Well, I know the governor chose you because you know how to get results, Mr. Cobbins. I hope so. I <laughs> hope when, so. when I saw you posting about it, I was like, Daryl's not in education, is yeah. it? But, but I can see you doing this, yeah. you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Because you need effective people. Yeah, well, very, I mean, there's only maybe one educator on the school board. So it's like a diverse um, group of back. So they want, yeah, they want people from different um different industries, different walks of life, different um, perspectives Mm -hmm. to be able to help guide and make good decisions and be impartial and objective. And so um, that's what we're there to do. Well, awesome. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Now, speaking of appointments and uh, Memphis, you know, we just had the Memphis primary. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I know you got out and voted. I sure did. So did some of your faves win <laughs> in there? <laughs> some of my faves did win. Uh, Mikhail Lowry, who uh, who I pledged in 97. Um, he was elected to the District 8 position on the Shelby County Commission. Mm-hmm. And uh, I salute him for a really hard-fought campaign. He really worked, mm-hmm. I mean, tirelessly. Mm-hmm. Every weekend, he was knocking on doors he himself. Even by himself, he was out there knocking on mm-hmm. doors. And uh, and that takes a lot of guts and a lot of fortitude to push. Mm-hmm. And, and it ended up in the result that it did. I mean, he won with 65% of I the vote. I saw that percentage. Just like, huge. Oh, it's really huge. I'm and um, and I'm proud of him. Mm-hmm. I'm proud L-O-C, of him. L.O.C., baby. Yeah. L.O.C. And so a lot of other good people won yes. uh, in their respective primaries. Tammy uh, Sawyer. Tammy Sawyer. My soror. We call her Tammy Lou Hamer. Tammy Lou Hamer. <laughs> I've seen that on social media. Yeah, she's uh, um, she's been fighting a good fight. She really has. Mm-hmm. And um, and hopefully she'll be successful and, and get there. She has a... Um, she has an opponent waiting for her in a general election in August. Really? So the primaries just decided mm-hmm. who the nominees of the different parties would be mm-hmm. in the general election uh, will decide who ultimately wins. So okay. in McHale's case, there wasn't a Republican running. So he got it. So he got it. Mm-hmm. In Tammy's case, there's a Republican running in that same district. So it's not over. So the two of them will meet up in August, and um, and she has another Fight ahead of her. So who is she? Uh, who is she running against in that world? Uh, it's a guy named Sam Goff. He's okay. a uh, Midtown guy. Okay. Um, but uh, we wish her well, and yes, I think we do. I think she'll be successful. Lee Harris. Yeah, Lee Harris won. Lee yes. Harris won. He beat um, uh, Sidney Chisholm, who's a, a tall, long-standing, looming figure in Memphis politics. I've been having been Chisholm since I've lived yeah, in Memphis. Yeah, he was one of Harrington's. Well, he actually helped Harrington get elected all those times that he did. And mm-hmm. Ch- Sidney actually served on the county commission for a good long time and a brief stint in the state legislature. So Lee worked hard, had a good team led by uh, Danielle Inez. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'll face David Lenore. Mm-hmm. On the Republican side in August, and that should be an interesting race. They're both, it should uh, be. I know both, both young, hardworking, <laughs> yes, ambitious guys. So it should be good. Yes, so I can't wait <clears throat> until the general election. It's going to be really good. Um, well, the interesting thing about the general is that this is like the election. I mean, there will be elections all the way through November, mm-hmm. whether it's state or local. But the August general election will be the primary for the state election. Okay. On the governor's race, which will be a big one, uh, you got three very wealthy Republicans that are vying for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Carl Dean, who was the former mayor of Nashville, vying for that on the Democratic side. So he doesn't have opposition, so he's probably... Well, he does have opposition, but I think he's the favorite. Um, so those will be decided in August, and then they'll face off in November. Do you think he have a good chance? Carl Dean? Mm-hmm. He has a good chance. Um, I think he has a really strong chance of winning his primary. Um, and then whoever he faces from, if he's successful, whoever he faces from the Republican side, it's going to be a battle. You know, mm-hmm. Tennessee is a pretty Trump-loving state right now. So, so. for a so. Democrat to mm-hmm. um, to push back against that, you know, it's going to be a it's going to be a battle. But I think he can do it. Mm-hmm. He's a he he got a lot of results. I mean, you look at Nashville right now. A lot of that credit goes to him. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I'm sure he'll be selling that as he continues to run across the state. It is growth and just the economy in itself is just really growing right now. Yeah, it's booming. I can't wait. I want Memphis to be. We're gonna be on the way. We're coming soon. You know, they uh, they I don't know about next year. (laughs) (laughs) They just voted down a transit plan. They were trying to push a nine. I think it's nine billion dollar Nashville. Nashville. I heard about and the citizens voted against it. Why? Because um, people that live in Nashville, I ran. I, I was hosting a, um, the Alpha Regional Step Show. This was maybe three weeks ago, and I met a couple. It was an older Alpha and an older AKA. I met them walking in, and then we were just talking, and then they told me they lived in Nashville, and they said that their transit system is horrible in Nashville, and they were telling me they were about to vote. But they said that they need it bad. If you've ever sat in Nashville traffic, you see they need it bad. When you're in a traffic jam at 7 in the morning, mm-hmm. you need some transit. <laughs> Why do you think the people voted against it? Uh, I don't think it was clear to them that a new mass transit system would solve the problem. Mm. And you, when you're talking $9 billion, That's a lot of money. people get real you know, skeptical when you're spending that much money, just think when we built FedEx Forum, people were up in arms, and that was mm-hmm. only two hundred and fifty million. Mm-hmm. Imagine nine billion. billion. That's a lot of money. And so, you know, when you when you're for something like that, you sell the best case scenario, and of course, the people who are against it are going to sell the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And clearly, uh, more people were skeptical about it than they were um, believing in it. And so, you know, we'll see. Wow what happens from there. But I think part of it had to do too with uh, the most recent mayor of Nashville had a little scandal that went down yes, she did. and she was, I mean, it was really her plan and she was pushing it. And so when she met her fate, I think it, um, <laughs> met her fate. I think it hurt the chances of the transit thing. Dang, the plan. Nashville. So, gonna get so it. we need to get us some mass transit in yes, Memphis. We do. <laughs> yes, we do. I mean, Speaking of Memphis and all of these elections going on, what do you think of Mayor Harrington saying he's going to do a bid for mayor again? Mm. Like, where'd that come from? It's America. <laughs> you know? <laughs> one man, one man, one vote. Look, what, uh, 20 plus years ago, Harrington was our mayor. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. When, you know, we first met and all of that. And yeah. He's a graduate of Lamorna right, College. That's right. And I remember him coming by the campus often. Yeah. But. He's no longer the mayor now. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I've always been a big fan of Doc. Uh, mm-hmm. I worked in his campaign in 98, one of my first early political campaigns that I worked in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I always had a good relationship with him. He appointed me uh, to the Memphis Light, Gas, and Water Board mm-hmm. around 2008. And I served there for eight and a half years. And uh, so I always have a special place in my heart for Doc. For W. Um, <clears throat> I think this go round, he'll um, he'll have to answer some tough questions, you know, mm-hmm. about, you know, what what makes you want to step up now at 70, I think 78. Mm-hmm. And not just rather than support, you know, a young candidate who you can guide and mentor and share your wisdom with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the questions you'll have to answer. And I think the other question will be more along the lines of, you know, you you left office. You didn't lose. You left. Mm-hmm. And so what is it now that makes you want to come back? And you, you know? know what? Um, 
you know, we've been celebrating MLK 50. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he announced it on television, it was at an MLK 50 event. Mm-hmm. So you have all these civil rights leaders in town. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, did they pull him in the room and say, look, man, this is what we're going to do? That's no, what I wonder. Doc was is a, he's an independent guy. He, he okay. makes his own decisions. Okay. And uh, having studied him a lot over the years, <laughs> that announcement was strategic and timed and planned and uh, meant to have the effect that it has, and that's us talking about it. Yes. So, um, so we'll see what the next year holds. You know, yeah. it's a long time between now and then, but. Um, but it won't be boring if he's in the race. You no, know that. No, it won't. Because they're going to get the hell out of his office <laughs> That's right. if need be. It's never boring with Doc. Now, just speaking of MLK 50, um, I know you were very, uh, well, MLK 50 celebrations are still going on mm-hmm. to this date. So mm-hmm. I know that you attended a lot of the events and still ongoing. So tell us about Poverty Unplugged. Okay. Uh, Poverty Unplugged is a series that's being promoted by the United Way of the Mid-South. Um, about a, probably two years ago, the United Way, um, maybe three years ago, hired Dr. Kenneth Robinson, who's formerly the pastor of St. Andrew AME Church. And also he was um, state commissioner of health. He was the county's health director, and he's a, a physician as well as a minister. And so he's um, Harvard-trained, super, super intelligent and uh, strategic. And so they hired him to run the United Way and sort of re-guide, redirect it into a more solvent position. And so what he decided was that when you look across the landscape of Memphis, there was really no organization that had taken up the mantle of directly impacting our poverty situation, which I consider to be the biggest issue of our time. I agree. Um, as it stands right now, um, we fluctuate between number one and number three in terms of the most impoverished cities in America. Who are we fluctuating with? Like, what cities are close to Memphis in poverty right now? Uh, well, you see different cities like um, Stockton, California, which how do we get on the list with Stockton, California? I don't know. Um, you've seen Pensacola, Florida on there. You've seen Cleveland, uh, Detroit, uh, cities like that. Okay. And so, um, and New Orleans, believe it or not, New Orleans is up there. Mm. But, uh, when you, when you look at that and that's been the case for such a long time, it's sort of frustrating when you don't know who is actually working to change that. And so the United Way decided that they would take up the mantle and sort of become the central organization in our city to address poverty. <clears throat> and so they decided to do this among, amongst the myriad of things that they're doing. They decided to do this series that um, will look at poverty from different angles. And so the first one that they did a couple of weeks ago, I was moderating the panel, uh, was focused on equity which is not a concept you hear talked about a lot in Memphis, but it basically, to deal with poverty, you sort of have to unpeel it like an onion mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because it's so multifaceted and multilayered and generational and just complicated. And so looking at the concept of equity, it makes you begin to question the systems that are in place, the institutions that have been in place, and their practices, whether that's the criminal justice system, whether that's 
the educational system, whether that's uh, business and, you know, a lot of profiteering that has gone on over the years, um, public policy and government. And equity is all about ensuring that people have a stake and an opportunity to pursue their goals and their dreams. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take anything away from anybody. And one of the one of the points that I made to that group that I think is really interesting. So we hear so much in Memphis about poverty, how poor we are. We're poor, we're poor, we're poor, right? So I was reading an article <clears throat> a couple of years ago that cited a financial services firm in New York that had done a study of counties in America and those that had the largest transfers of wealth. So when people die, they leave insurance policies, mm-hmm. they leave inheritances and other things. And Shelby County ranked among the top, it ranked around 72 out of 100 in terms of the top counties in America for wealth transfer. They ranked, We ranked ahead of Nashville, Davidson County. We ranked ahead of, I'll put it this way, there was no county that ranked higher than us in Mississippi, Kentucky, Louisiana, Arkansas, or Missouri. Hmm. So what that tells you is that while we focus so much on poverty, there's still a lot of wealth here. That good old money. And that wealth was accumulated over time, and that wealth is being handed down from generation to Hmm. generation to generation. And so when you understand that, you have to ask yourself, how do we have these two these two Memphises, basically, these two worlds that exist where you got so many people living in poverty mm-hmm. and then you got all this wealth transferring and that it represents an economic imbalance. Mm-hmm. And so in in order to have a more equitable community, we have to come to grips with um, minority business. I mean, are we really serious? Mm-hmm. Does that help close that gap? Education, of course. Um, a livable wage. You hear that talked about a lot in the $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the issues that we dealt with in that discussion, um, which went on probably for about an hour or so. And so that that equity piece is just mm-hmm. the first series, the first installment in that series. And there'll be another there'll be about three more over the course of the next three or four months. Mm-hmm all held at the Civil Rights Museum. I encourage people to go to the United Way's website and check that out. But Mm -hmm. the more that we can talk about these things and come to a common understanding, that's when you really start getting to solutions. Now, Daryl, I know both of us have a background in diversity procurement. Do you see an increase in minority business as of today in Memphis? I don't see an increase in spending. I see an increase in effort to try and get there. Mm -hmm for people to get certified to participate? Well, that's one piece of it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Certification is just one piece of it. I'm going to try to keep it real with you. Please uh, do. (laughs) Certification is a necessary tool Mm -hmm. to validate that you are a minority or that you are who you say you are and that you are a woman or that you are a locally owned small business. My business has been certified. And I'll tell you that certification is not 
an indicator of whether you will be successful. It's not, not a guarantee you will get like a contract with the city at all because you are really you can be certified all day it. long and get nothing. Trust okay. me. And so, you know, I equated it to walking around having to say I got my papers, mm-hmm. you know, like in the old days when those papers don't really make you successful. And so what we need, and and there's some movement happening in this where uh, folks at the city council and county commission have really pushed government Mm -hmm. to be more equitable in their spending and put things in place. And your chapter sister, Joanne Mass, is doing Mm -hmm. a great job down at the city to make that happen. Um, Carolyn Watkins and Shep Wilburn over on the county side are doing the same thing. But what we really need is private industry to step up to the plate because in government, you know, you always going to have some level of spending that has to be measured and has to be reported back. Private Mm -hmm. sector doesn't have to report anything. Mm -hmm. And so for our numbers to be as low as they are, they are in Memphis and you know that government is doing something that means the private sector must be doing virtually nothing. Mm. And so, uh, thankfully, there are some efforts underway that the Chamber of Commerce and some other people are pushing that are trying to get some movement in that direction. But those efforts have really yet to bear out fruit where you can say that they're really making a difference. But, you know, it's better than it was three or four years ago, but we still got a long, 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 long way to go. Oh, wow. So I guess from the private industry uh, perspective, what can happen you know, immediately that we may see a change? Hmm. You could, um, I mean, I I have shared my opinion with some business leaders on this, that if the head of FedEx, AutoZone, International Paper, as the publicly traded companies in Memphis, I think maybe Thomas and Betts is publicly traded too, but those that are headquartered here in Memphis that are publicly traded if, and who have huge, huge, huge budgets, mm-hmm. if they were to collectively sit down and say that we are making a commitment to spend X percent with minority and women-owned businesses, especially black businesses, since Memphis is 63% black, um, that would send a message throughout this community that there's a serious commitment to equity, Mm-hmm. to making sure that people have a stake, that making sure that people have opportunity. And you would probably see that mirrored through their vendors and folks that want to do business with them and just independent business people who who can be helped to understand that um, a growing pie creates opportunity for us all. And if you're over here eating like you at uh, Ryan Steakhouse, but I'm eating off a plate like, you know, I'm at Dixie Queen. <laughs> that doesn't, over time, that Where's doesn't, yeah, that, that doesn't make us get along too well. And um, and not that you have to take off your plate, mm-hmm. but, you know, let's, let's figure out ways to share mm-hmm. and all succeed. Do you think that when it gets down to the bidding process, when, mm-hmm. when these decisions are made, is it, it's like, you know, they already know who they want, and they're going with their buddy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that go on. I mean, it's anyway. a lot of that that happens. Yeah. Um, and I've experienced a lot of it myself being in business for uh, 11 years now myself. But 
Uh, yeah, I mean, people tend to gravitate towards people who they like, who they know, who they identify with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think when it starts at the top, mm-hmm. like at the CEO level, um, and you hold, and that CEO is committed and wants to hold people accountable to achieving results, and ties some some performance measures to it, and people's raises and promotions are impacted by their ability to help the company meet that goal. That's when you really see it start making a difference. But so, so there's some work with some of these uh, businesses headquartered in Memphis yeah. to increase their minority spend. We got a lot of work to do. I know FedEx got a diversity procurement department mm-hmm. with goals. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and they do a great job. But they could also be doing a lot more. Mm-hmm. Everybody could do a lot more, mm-hmm. and and that ultimately is what would move the needle. You know, I I've told some of my friends that are you know, leaders in economic development and large corporations that when you see the metric that Memphis's black businesses get less than 1% That's horrible. of the gross business receipts in this community, that should be embarrassing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And if it doesn't embarrass us, that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. And um, one thing I've learned about Memphis is when something is important to us, as a community, we find a way to get it done. When we want to put lights on the bridge across the Mississippi, we found $13 million to do that. Mm-hmm. When we wanted to um, save AutoZone Park, the baseball stadium, the city issued $24 million in bonds to do that. Oh. Uh, I could I could rattle off several other examples, mm-hmm. but when it's important to us, we find a way to do it as a community. And so this needs to be, uh, this being inclusive spending and uh, with diverse businesses, it needs to be high on our radar of important things because mm-hmm. what that will ultimately do is create a stronger middle class, mm-hmm. especially in the black community we where we can, um, you know, have better neighborhoods, stronger schools and better jobs for parents and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Now, how can we tap into that generational wealth that you spoke about? I know we talk about private industry, but... Mm. Is that just through building relationships or new ways of thinking with some of these people? Maybe they, you know. We need more more conversations like the Poverty Unplugged series. We need more people writing about these issues like Wendy Thomas mm-hmm. and a lot of the MLK 50 um, work that she did. And anybody that didn't read any of that, I would encourage you to go to MLK50.com because she – she really pulled the covers off yeah. of a lot yes, she does. relative to um, the issues around equity in Memphis. And um, she spent a whole year working on and producing a lot of that content. And so uh, the more that we can all understand where we are, we can collectively decide where we're going and how we get there. And, um, and that's going to take, you know, folks like us who have a platform and a place to have these discussions, it's going to take people who have the resources to all be in the same room around mm-hmm. the same table and say, how are we going to get there? Mm-hmm. Well, Poverty Unplugged, I think that is something really good that you guys came up with to address yeah. Memphis being the number one city yet again in poverty, you know, and for MLK 50 to be here this year and to still be number one in poverty. Still number one in poverty since Martin Luther King Jr. died, and that's what he was fighting for. Right. It's embarrassing. Yeah. It's like it should it should prompt us to really be radical in terms <laughs> of how we 
how we change that and not just let MLK 50 be a ceremonial kumbaya feel good type of thing, but it should really be, how do we look back 50 years from now Mm -hmm. when, you know, either we're here or not here, but our children are here and grandchildren are here and that they're not dealing with the same issues that we are. That's my biggest motivation is I don't want my son having to wrestle and, and deal with a lot of these issues. So, and like when you look at the um, sanitation workers, like uh, that are still working, mm-hmm. and they're still talking about it's the same subject matter. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. just floored. Like, well, they say the more things change, the more they stay the same. But we uh, we have to be intentional. Yes. So with the poverty unplugged, that was Lori Robertson uh, who produced that, and Kenneth Robinson, who's the CEO, and that's their their great work. I was just privileged to be there to facilitate a little bit of it. Well, I'm going to repost that flyer when I post about the uh, podcast because people really need to be aware. They need to attend Mm -hmm. and see how we can improve this big issue that we have. Now, you mentioned that, just speaking on poverty, um, speaking on diversity procurement, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. um, how the CEO needs to be involved. Mm -hmm. Now, like the CEO of Starbucks, Mm -hmm. for example, Mm -hmm. You know, the two black men were arrested in Philadelphia at a Starbucks. They were simply waiting on a real estate partner to have a meeting. They didn't buy anything. Um, They were told, uh, I guess they were asked, um, you know, are you going to buy something or whatever? They said, no, we're waiting on somebody. And they asked to go to the restroom. Asked to go to the restroom. We'll give them the code. Right. Police were called. Mm -hmm. They were arrested for trespassing. So this was... um, you know, something that kind of just, you know, lit a match in people around the nation, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm a Starbucks connoisseur. <laughs> Are you really? I go every morning. Mm. And when this happened, I'm like, wait a minute, what is going on? What, what Let me see this video. So I was really trying to see the steps that these two black men were going to take. I, I was trying to let it play out. Mm-hmm. So now we have a settlement. Mm-hmm. And it was a symbolic settlement for $1 mm-hmm. with the city of Philadelphia, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think that they received an undisclosed amount from Starbucks from what I read. Did you know that? I don't know. I don't know about that. I saw that they got $200,000 for a youth $200, program. $200,000 for mm-hmm. like a youth entrepreneurship program. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. what do you think about this settlement, Daryl? What do you think about the entire situation? Ooh, man, that was a... Um, it was just sort of a confirmation of, of what we've seen play out time and time again. Thankfully, it didn't play out uh, like Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, mm-hmm. or um, Tamir Rice, or, and countless others. Eric Garner, mm-hmm. Lando Castillo. I mean, I could go on and on. And the fact that I can go on and on tells you that uh, there's a problem. And people talk a lot about unconscious bias. Okay, which is a concept that that implies that people aren't aware that they're being racist. They're they've been programmed by society to question black people or be skeptical of black people. Mm-hmm. And that exists, okay? That's real. But I believe there's also such thing as conscious bias <laughs> where a person knows exactly what they're doing. You know what's up. And uh I think that was the case with this this person, this manager of this Starbucks where you know, you specifically went out of your way to be the way you wanted to be mm-hmm. and called the police based on whatever power 
And keep in mind, in all of these situations, there's a power struggle Mm -hmm. um, between whoever and these black people, these black men especially. But Sandra Bland is another example. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so um, so that situation was just sort of emblematic of what we've seen happen time and time again. It just happened to be caught on video. And it happened to be a situation where the brothers had to be absolutely not doing anything, nothing, not saying anything, not showing any emotion, not showing any reaction. And then you see clearly the power dynamic and what went down and even the officers and attitudes that they had. So it just, it just represents what we've always known. And once again, it was on video. Uh, I believe those brothers suffered grave indignity Mm -hmm. and embarrassment and uh, a dollar. (laughs) My, my dignity is worth a lot more than a dollar. Like what is that about? I mean, it was, it was gracious of them to be, to show that kind of uh, benevolence to Starbucks and to whoever. But uh, Aaron Andrews, the uh, ESPN Mm -hmm. sportscaster who the man filmed in her bedroom, Mm -hmm. uh, got a big settlement from the hotel to the tunes of tens of millions for her indignity and embarrassment. So um, why they decided to take that approach, I guess maybe they were just trying to be an example of Grace, and <clears throat> grace and humility, which is consistent with the way that they behaved when they were being accosted by the police and actually had to go be booked and detained and all of that, which uh, I think Starbucks got off really, really easily. I think Starbucks put their check. Do you hear me? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's it, I, I read today because I've been following this, something Darryl, underneath I the promise. surface. Huh? It's undisclosed. So right. th- you'll never hear them say anything yeah. about it. So we'll never know. Mm. And all this symbolism going on. Yeah. Maybe you know? they signed a non-disclosure agreement. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Come on now. Well, the CEO of Starbucks came on. Uh, I saw him on CNN mm-hmm. and he was really uh, apologetic and uh, sympathetic and you know they're closing they the stores closing the yeah. stores around the country and so hopefully that's an example to other companies that they need to be more um, proactive mm-hmm. in terms of inclusion training and diversity training Definitely. and uh, unconscious and conscious bias training let's just not have unconscious Let's just make conscious. Okay, we'll get some people the benefit of the doubt that they have no idea what they're doing when they call the police on black folks. But but hopefully the good that can come out of it is that it um, prompts people to be much, much more uh, thoughtful and deliberate about their interactions and their uh, fears when dealing with people of color because – we can't change who we are, how we look, or how we come in. And, um, you know, there were some people who said, there's one friend of mine in particular who said, well, they should have been dressed better. They should have been. Oh, wow. You know, they should have, uh, they didn't look like real estate agents. They should have carried themselves differently and all that. How did but you respond to that statement? I just said, well, why is the onus on us to, to have to be any particular kind of way? Mm-hmm. When, his, when his being in a suit stopped, uh, a brother from getting shot or pulled over by the police right. or followed in a store. I mean, 
you can say that, but that doesn't make it the reality that we know that exists. So uh, everybody comes at it from different angles, but we'll see if it leads to some change. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you put all these videos on a screen, Mm -hmm. there's stark similarities, you know, in terms of how these situations begin. And unfortunately, in too many cases, how they end. But thankfully, this one ended in a Mm -hmm. in a reasonable fashion. Right. Well, we'll definitely see how this one plays out. We we heard about the settlement um, just this week. We just pray there aren't any more occurrences because everybody got a phone right now (laughs) and everything is going viral. Yeah. And it kind (coughs) of makes me think of um, just people in the media right now really cutting up. I'm thinking about Kanye West. Mm, mm. Uh, Daryl, I I know. Are you a Kanye fan, first of all? I'm a Kanye fan. I'm more of his uh, earlier Kanye fan than (laughs) a later Kanye fan. Okay, well, just recently a big interview came out. This was Tuesday. Because I was at home sick. I, I was at home sick looking on my Twitter in the bed. Mm-hmm. And I saw that his interview with Charlemagne the God dropped. So it goes right to YouTube, of course. And I'm like, dang, this thing almost two hours. I really got to brace myself to look at this. Mm. So I watched the entire interview, Daryl Cobbins. And what I'm wondering, you know, the, the same day after that interview dropped, TMZ had him and a young lady, Candace, come on the show. Mm-hmm. And Kanye was talking about people um, should just forget slavery existed. It was I a mean, choice. It was a choice. <laughs> Who says that? Mm-hmm. And Kanye on TMZ versus Kanye with Charlemagne looked like two different people to me. Yeah. So then we kind of think about, is Kanye okay? Mm-hmm. What is going on with Kanye right now? What do you think, Daryl? You know, I wonder. I wonder. Um because he's always been a little bit over the top. You know, I remember when he was first becoming well-known and seeing him interviewed, and you could tell he was a big, you know, big personality. Mm-hmm, definitely did. Uh, but now he's clearly gone into some some other places, uh, you know, with the Taylor Swift thing he did on the MTV mm-hmm. Awards and um, – uh, just spiraling out of yeah. control. Yeah, <clears throat> but to I, me, like maybe when his mother. Passed, yeah, I think that has started. a lot to do with it. I think he may have gone through some bouts with depression, as anybody would. Mm-hmm. And so now it seems like I, I mean I wonder whether there's actually some mental illness there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also wonder, well, is all of this for publicity? Maybe he's uh, maybe he's stoking the flames to get. Mm-hmm major publicity and not that he really has trouble getting publicity but mm-hmm. you know I just wonder where the line is in that but you know having um had some some family members who've dealt with depression and some mental illness issues I am very sympathetic so I'm I try to stop short of judging him because mm-hmm. when a person is not in their um ideal state of mind sometimes they say and do things that and that's what that are counter to to what's natural and what we know them to be and there has to be a little bit of space to allow that that individual to uh, heal and get better Mm -hmm. and so hopefully uh, there's something happening in his life like that right now but from what I've seen from some of the videos like the the Charlemagne video Mm -hmm. he seems like he's sitting down having a very and that's what it's intelligent like, conversation. Right? <clears throat> now, Daryl. But the TMZ video, 
He seems like he's talking out of his right. mind. So, so there's some bipolar going on with that. Um, <laughs> you know what? Some of the big takeaways from the Charlemagne the God interview with Kanye. He first was talking about his clothing line. He kept referencing all of these people in fashion that mm. probably me or you could care less about, mm-hmm. but that's what he's into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he kept referencing them. Um, that's what he wants to do. I can tell that he wants to mend his relationship with Jay-Z because Charlemagne asked him, he was like, um, have you and Jay talked? And he was like, no. He was like, have y'all seen each other? Mm-hmm. He was like, we'll see each other. It's like it's some glimmer of hope there mm-hmm. still with Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. But um, he asked him, um, well, do you think because Beyonce doesn't want to be around Kim? It's like he was pausing on that. So mm-hmm. when you start talking about Kim and stuff, you see a big pause yeah. on his yeah. answers. Yeah, there's obviously so. some issues there mm-hmm. um, in terms of Kim and, and Beyonce. And I'm not the the most entertainment, uh, <laughs> deep, delving you're a, person. You're not in a beehive? Definitely not in the beehive. Uh, I'm in the Stevie hive. I'm an old school okay. uh, connoisseur of music. But, I, I, you know, I'm a fan of all these folks. But um, but I'm hoping that all those fences can be mended and we I'm can get back to the Kanye that we all know and love. Right. And um, the one thing I can't get with him on is the whole Trump love, though, you know, with the Make America Great Again hat Ooh. and... What did he call it? Dragon energy or something that he, they share he, or something I, it, like and that? And he mentioned on the interview with Charlemagne <laughs> that Trump is unconventional. I'm unconventional. Mm-hmm. I feel him. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Um, that's a problem. But you know what? If anything, his interview sparked a lot of talk yeah. about slavery yeah. that people probably did not know. <laughs> now, that's something good that came of this uh, to kind of school some people. I guess so. On yeah. slavery. Yeah. Now, look at we you. know that it was not a choice. <laughs> we do know that. We know that. If we know nothing else, we know that folks did not sign up for slavery. Right. He act like you could just get on the bike and roll off the plantation. Absolutely. Um, and it sparked a lot. I mean, I was listening to uh, Bobby this morning mm-hmm. on WDIA, mm-hmm. and folks are talking about slavery. Yes, that's what everybody <laughs> and our ancestors about. and how they feared death and all of that. So it, it at least it sparked some conversation. But um, and for his mother <clears throat> to be a school teacher, you know, she talked to Kanye about slavery. Yeah, it's like, yeah, she was Kanye like a college professor. Know. I mean, she right. was she was up there. Um. I mean, I think all of that just signifies that he is, um, you know, in a different state of mind. and In that Calabasas bubble. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when you listen to him talk about himself, he wants to put himself in the category of all these geniuses who are weird and wild and uh, unconventional and all those kind of things. And that's fine. But when you talk to those folks, they didn't talk about themselves like that. Right. So clearly he's trying to emulate whatever image he has in his mind of these people who he admires mm-hmm. and wants to compare himself to them. But he should let history mm-hmm. and folks like you do that versus um, saying, hey, I'm a genius just like Van it's Gogh. It's all about the ideas. It's about the ideas. Right. Like Gary <clears throat> Vanderchuk. He kind of trying to emulate Gary yeah. to me a little bit. Yeah, he's trying to be a little too deep, which sends you into a different direction when mm-hmm. folks folks don't necessarily receive it as mm-hmm. deeply as you're presenting it. But 
Um, but we'll see where it goes. What's you know, he has a, he has an album coming That's out. That's going to be telling in a our, tour. So, well, our, our, the, what's going to be telling is <laughs> are the people going to buy Kanye's music after right. this big stunt? Absolutely, they will. You know they will. He has a. What about all the people that's he mad? He has a Kanye hive, just like Beyonce has a what beehive. What about the people that's mad right now because of all these slavery references? They're gonna be all right. They're gonna still buy that. Yeah. They're gonna download and they're gonna buy tickets and go see the show. Uh, and right. I and part of this is a show. I mean, mm-hmm. he's an entertainer, and um, you know, he's always been bordering on the edges, and now mm-hmm. he's over the edge. Maybe he'll come back. Uh, but it's interesting that, you know, with all of us questioning his sanity, <laughs> he'll still be able to recite lyrics and Will he? <laughs> and beats. But and you know what? Big shout out to the guy Van on TMZ for putting him in his place. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He really. Yeah. He spoke the truth. And you could tell he was coming from a place of authenticity. And yeah. it was not a game. You know, he jokes a lot on TMZ, but he was dead serious when he took him to task. And, and Kanye apologized. Did you see that part? Uh, did they show that part? or did they? It depends on which clip you look okay. at. Okay. He went up to him, brother, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. But dude was looking like, get off me, Yeah, man. I did see a little bit of that. I did see a little bit of that. But, um, you know, I think that's where the people around him have to get with him. And, right. I mean, say, okay, we need there's a line right now and we need some protection and we need to give him his meds. properly. Yeah. And- yeah. There's a line between um, uh, sort of being eccentric and becoming like a demagogue like Trump. Trump mm-hmm. is a demagogue. Mm-hmm. And when you say things like slavery was a choice, you're drifting into demagoguery at that point right. and really degrading your people. Mm-hmm. And um Sometimes there can be a price to pay for that. You just never know how it's going to cut or when it's going to happen. We'll see. We'll know in June. June. We'll know in June. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Now, we've talked about a lot, Daryl. Yeah, it's been Uh, good. Yes, like from, you know, your new appointment by the governor for the 9th District Representative Board of Education. Mm -hmm. We've talked about MLK 50, uh, Poverty Unplugged just leaving a legacy and trying to improve uh, minority development. I know you mentioned that, you know, improving poverty is one of the things that you want to do, especially for your son, Brooks. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel? And this is my last question. Okay. How do you feel as a black man raising a black male in today's society, especially in the city of Memphis? Yeah. That's a, I've never been hit with that one before. (laughs) Um, It is, um, it's a major responsibility. Um, and, you know, I always think about the fact that, uh, like, my parents divorced when I was two. And I didn't see my father until I was 15 after mm-hmm. they divorced. Um, and so for those 13 years, you know, my grandfather and my uncles were sort of my male role models. But they still aren't your daddy. And so I take pride in the fact that my son has had his daddy around for the nine years that he's been here. And um, and that's important. It really is important. And seeing positive male role models for young black boys, especially in our city, is is critically important. One thing, uh, this one statistic that 
concerns me, but thankfully there are some folks working on it in Memphis, is um, that we have 45,000, what the term is called, disconnected youth. They tried to make it more positive and called them opportunity youth. But either way, um, so it's 45,000 16 to 24-year-olds that are neither working nor in school. Mm. So if you think about that age range, and if you're not in school and you're not working, what are you doing? That's positive. 45,000. 45, and that number keeps me up at night because um, over the next 10 years, that group of people will be 26 to 34-year-olds. And that's, you know, when you're that that span of that 10 years is when you're either going to college, getting a job, beginning your career, starting a family, getting married. And if you're not working or in school, you nine times out of 10, you're doing something that's not Mm -hmm. conducive. And so to think that my son is growing up in a city where that is happening it concerns me about the future, and that's why I put a lot of time and energy into working, even outside of my business, on a lot of these issues that I do. Um, but in terms of raising him, I, I've raised him to be uh, aware, to be uh, committed to his community and to his people, and to do like I do, uh, or to raise him the way that I was raised in terms of uh, I was dragged to more things as a kid than any child should have to be <laughs> uh, exposed to, you know, just a lot of different things, whether it was politics, business, the arts, church, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think it gives a, a young person a solid foundation to understand the world and their place in it. Mm-hmm. And if faith can be a big part of that, if exposure to things outside of their homes and neighborhoods can be a big part of that. If mentoring and male role models can be a big part of that or female role models, then you're setting that child up for success because they are, uh, hundred black men has this motto, what they see is what they'll be. Mm-hmm. And I'm a firm believer that when you see positive uplifting, hardworking, committed people, you try to emulate those people that you love and that you want to be like. And um, hopefully he sees his daddy doing good things and it makes him want to do good things too. He does. Brooks Mm -hmm. is in good hands. I hope he is. (laughs) He's eating up everything and drinking up everything. That's what they do. I feel you, Daryl. <laughs> and I just want to thank you so much for coming by the podcast. Thank you for having I me. I really enjoyed you. Yeah, yeah. I remember when you mentioned this to me, and I was thinking, yeah, she ain't going to never call me. I hit you up. You sure did. You came yeah. right on. So I'm yeah. I'm glad you did. I'm proud of you and all your great work. And to have seen you grown from a, a young lady to a woman who's Aww. commanding the media yes. landscape of our community and, and really uh, putting together things like this podcast to mm-hmm. take it across the world. So I wish you much success. Thank you, Daryl. Right. Thank you so much. And I will be inviting you to Verbally Effective Live when that kicks off. Okay? I'll be there. Thank you so much. Big shout outs to Daryl Cobbins, Verbally Effective, episode 17 in the books. And I heard him say, nothing's ever promised tomorrow today. And I heard him say,
say, nothing's ever promised tomorrow today. 